Kia ora, ko Anne O'Brien toku ingoa, he kaiorongi o waituhi o tamaki, no mai, haru mai. I'm Anne O'Brien, Director of the Auckland Writers Festival Waituhi o Tamaki, and you're listening to a session podcast from our 2021 event. Nga oro ho, the new vibrations. This exceptional performance brings together celebrated writers and tangoporo practitioners in a lyrical weaving of language and song. Arahia Latham, Anahira Gildia, Becky Manawatu, SMA Ranapiri and Tusiata Avia take you on a journey of sound and words from the distant past to the distant future. Featuring live tangoporo from composer, musician and poet Ruby Solly and arts laureate Ariana Tikau, as well as pre-recorded compositions from artists Rob Thorne, Horomono Horo, Richard Nuns and Al Fraser. This event is part of the Oro series curated by Ruby Solly and supported by Tutora Firi Itereo Māori, the Māori Language Commission. We hope you enjoy it. the paimonga on either side of the lake. It holds all our DNA, swirling in small spirals like mayfly larvae, drag, circle, drop. My bones, My bones you mould from pumice filled with red clay 
your fingertips swirl up and around, up and around. My muscles are taking shape as you drag the wet earth up and around. Your palm is pulling, drag, circle, drop. In my puku you place a gift from the heavens. The pūmanawa is all of us. It is all of us. It is all of us from all of time, from before and after, from all of time. You push the manawa, it quakes all of our pain. In concentric circles, you drag, you circle, you drop. It is the pulse of Papatua Nuku reverberating the cycle of love and loss. Drag, circle, drop. You sweep my lips and push to form sounds that began in darkness. The tips of your fingers circle the wet clay of my cheeks. Tugging softly, tugging harder, centering, pinching. An ihu is formed, making me like something that has never been. The creature that the trees will absorb as their own, our breath inside them. It shakes. You push their breath back in my nose. Back, 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 forward. <sighs> Your ethereal hands mold small conches at the sides of my head and I have no idea what that will mean. Drag, circle. Drop. Pushing. Pushing, an orifice pushing, pushing the future and suddenly the sound is in me and of me, of light breaking the sky, of birds' souls turning inside out. The sound of time splitting, the song of something beginning, of something that had always been inside us. Around us, the birds are asking me, asking me to join the sound. The sound vibrates inside me, the witty in my hands awakening me, beginning the world with this new body. Dripping dirt, smearing red clay all over the place. Drag, circle, drop. 
the throats of birds forming my very first sounds. Back, 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 forwards. <sighs> Guttural as all the birth and death that will fall from me. I was raised among Arara in song by the river, born onto their fiery tongues and dread breath, caught in the second story of a pink state house, police lights playing on the blackened walls, lengths of flaming saliva, climbing the gnarly scales of lizard protectors calling out and out in a feast of momentum and language, flesh steaming and hissing. This is the story of a childhood down under. If you have been taught to hate your mother. First, she needs to have abandoned you and your father and your sister. You need to be convinced of this. She needs to be a liar. She needs to be fueled by hate. It would help if she was a hands-on kind of person too. It's easier to hate someone if they are prone to hit. Once you have that sorted, you can probably say anything you like about her. You can probably tell the whole world how much you fucking hate her guts but it wouldn't be the whole truth. Blame is an interesting concept. You can blame others for almost anything. You can hate and blame and rage and fire and still at some point you need to leave if you are going to come into your own. You need to cut her loose and go your own way. Nine times out of ten, people will come full circle, they say. Wake up one day and realise they have become their mother. E te marae kura, ho hamu hamu mai, karangaranga mai. My mother was a teacher and a nurse and a goddess with chic brown skin and long straight hair and jet black, not the tangled Irish curls that I got, not the pale, pale that I got. At school they accused me of being adopted, of claiming Māori tanga, which I wasn't allowed because my skin didn't show it, my accent didn't show it, my face didn't show it, and I would cry and fight them, fight them for things I didn't understand, fight them for my mother, so she would hate them less, 
so she would hate me less. I would imagine I was a tanifa, so magic, so undeniable that they would have to put up their hands and defend themselves from my venom. And eventually they said, oh yeah, she is a Murray. Murrays are like that. I think my mother knew, I think she knew what it meant to hate and tried to stand between me and that story. Tried to build a perimeter of tikanga, strong enough to hold out those that would trespass. She demanded I know my Māori tanga. She demanded I learn te reo. She demanded I understand our history, our whenua, and cook. When I started my first real job as a teacher, I was 20-something and employed as a strategic hire because of being Murray. Born at a time that especially sought out Murrays. Murray is the word they used for me. The government did that. My most valuable asset. My mother knew that hate is transcultural and intergenerational and can climb every maunga and can cross every hour. It sits latent beneath the surface and doesn't come on quickly. It's not usually hate at first sight. It's not contained in particular geographies. You have to see yourself day after day, take an inventory of hate. It is polyvocal and a ventriloquist. It takes time. You have to work at it and sometimes Someone needs to be the volunteer, the object of other people's hate. Someone who will step in and take the hard smack of anger when it gets too much. And you are in danger of dying from being in hate with yourself. Aotsupuna did that. And my mother did that. And I would do that for you, my son even if it meant you grew to hate me. I was raised among ngārara in song by the river, i te waiata, i te awa, born onto their fiery tongues and dread breath kaputaki waho, caught in the second story of a pink state house, he mauherete nei. Lengths of flaming saliva climbing these gnarly scales, calling out and out, flesh steaming and hissing, I have come full circle to stand face to face with my mother. When your eyes are locked on, the term is aro. When you're close enough to share breath, the term is ha.
She lives near a swamp. The swamp has not been siphoned to make more space for more cows, and this makes her feel very hopeful. Sometimes she walks to the edge of the cuckoo wai and listens to it. The sound of life, wings, tails, gnashing, cooing, eyes rolling, tongues licking. It sounds like her own organs speaking to each other. Today though, she is not standing at the edge of the swamp, she is standing in her kitchen. She is alone and she is thinking about the man who got shot. Back then, before he was shot, it was not only pain or death she feared when she considered leaving him, but being flayed for sport. Being outed not only as flawed, but hideously so, culpable even, having at her weakest moment survived a life by deriving some shameful pleasure and cruelty too. Not only feeling it, not only having wallowed in it, but having entered the hellish realm of active participation. It was fear of any one of her secrets, her many angsts and insecurities, the ugliness she had unwittingly revealed to this man, and more than one callous spectator being used as fuel which halted her, unpacked her bags for her. Together these were a perfectly crafted fuel, a singularly owned resource, packing enough heat to scorch her life to ash and crust and scar tissue, to smoke. Smoke from a fire so hot it would burn anyone she loved, anything she cared for. More than pain, more than death, she feared the aftermath of this fire. She imagined a vast and scathing dryness. She could use a can opener, and even though the man rather than she is dead now, she does not. She uses a knife to open cans of tomatoes, peaches, creamed corn, baked beans. Sometimes the can she needs the goods from have lids like Fresh Up, Fanta, Coke. These cans can be opened with a hooked finger and a quick peel of tin. Sometimes they can't and she must use her knife. Today she takes up the serrated vegetable knife Plows it into the tin of the peeled tomatoes, drags the toothy blade across, up, down, across, soaring a semicircle, folding upwards a half moon of ragged silver to find the red wet pulp beneath the torn tin. And the bright fruit suddenly makes her wonder how the inside of her wrist might look, despite having, having been happy, almost elated to be making bolognese for dinner when she first took up the small tool. She has used a knife rather than the proper, proper utensil for opening cans since April 18, 1994, the day the now dearly departed man threw the proper utensil across a kitchen, not directly at her, but also not, not directly at her. It spun by her head so close her temple felt like it puckered. Her brain shrunk away from the walls of her skull like half an orange having its juice squeezed from it. It shrunk like cuckoo-wide, drained, siphoned. It shattered a window behind her to pieces, splinters and shards. It exploded out into the day and the can opener landed in a patch of grass outside his house. After she moved her stuff in, it went from being his house to his house. She didn't know it was a can opener which tore by her skull until shortly before lunchtime. 
It was shortly before lunchtime when she made the choice to open a tin of creamed corn and make toasted sammies for this man. She wanted to make things right. She was, after all, somewhat culpable. She searched the drawers for the can opener. She checked the sink, pot cupboard, junk drawer, even went to the shed and looked in the man's toolbox because he'd hidden her mascara there once, her postcard another time, and her treasured photo another. Alone in the house, she ransacked the kitchen. She had not yet, yet called anyone to come and fix the window because she was embarrassed. It was the third window the man had broken. On one of those occasions, another man came to fix the window and she had to speak to him with her lip all cut to fuck, swollen to shit, and though the window fixer didn't say so, she could see in his eyes he put two and two together and made a sum that seemed reasonably palatable to him. That day she wished a brown woman came to fix her window because a brown woman window fixer would have decided that instead of replacing the one window rather together, they should break every single one, burn his fucking house down. But she no longer lives in this house and nor does he. She lives in another house near the wetland with its birds and reptiles, its wings and teeth and tails and eyes. Through the broken window she hears the wetland groan, whisper to her. She stops making kai and stops thinking about what the inside of her wrist might look like. And she stops thinking about the man and she walks out to the kukuwai. Son. Aito are born to the world as blood clots. Atua come from heaven. Aito are born to the world as abortions. This is what happens when you sleep with your sister. A tree, a shark, a stick, a shell. Aito are born to the world as blood clots. They can be anyone you know. Aito 
are born to the world as abortions. Spread your mat out on the ground. A tree, a shark, a stick, a shell. Whatever lands is the soul of a lost one. It can be anyone you know. Find a place for burial. Spread your mat out on the ground. Pray to the sky to send us down. Atua come from heaven. Atua come from heaven. Aito come from hell. This is what happens when you sleep with your sister. Your sister's daughter, your brother's son. Aito are born to the world as blood clots. Atua come from heaven. Aitu are born to the world as abortions. This is what happens when you sleep with your sister. A tree, a shark, a stick, a shell. Aitu are born to the world as blood clots. They can be anyone you know. Aitu are born to the world as abortions. Spread your mat out on the ground. A tree, a shark, a stick, a shell. Whatever lands is the soul of a lost one. It can be in one, you know. Find a place for burial. Spread your mat out on the ground. Pray to the sky to send us down. Atua, come from heaven. Atua, come from heaven. Aitu, come from hell. This is what happens when you sleep with your sister, your sister's daughter, your brother's son. Aitu are born to the world as blood clots.
I understand your rounded vowels, your voice painting pictures, poetry aglow. My tongue words fail me, one big stop repeated over and over. To ureo, my heart in sync, but words disappear. Language is a tongue, mine pakeha. Remember that time my karanga stopped midway through in front of the whole of Aotearoa. A glitch, closed eyes, mouth askew, tongue offline. Even though I have a degree in you, two diplomas, countless hui in you, scratching my way back, nails splintering from inside the lid, buried alive in shame. Why the hell am I not fluent by now, dumb fuck? Then I remember the words of Hannah O'Regan. The real inside of you is perfect. It's in my blood, like lava, like a fire. My poet said, mana is a fire, never extinguished. When strangers say, I like your tattoo, or what does it mean? What can I say? It's like asking, who are you? Why do you exist? When I first told my tāne that I was going to receive my moko kauai, he said, there won't be any Māori woman left without one. My heart sank. It was like he thought I was 13 again and wanted to get me some of those bubblegum jeans so bad to feel them stretching, their stripy goodness around my body, because they were so trendy. It made me angry and frankly disappointed, and when I challenged him, he said, well, I wouldn't get one. I told him, this is not about you. When you are with someone so long, the lines begin to blur.
I am going deeper, like Mataora to Raroheka, chanting Newereka's name at each strike of the uhi. My Tane's Moteatea drone helps me settle. I trust in my Tohuka Tamoko like a midwife, molding us into being. My Fano provides the oro I breathe in and out, diving down, down, down into a tipuna space, he ahuru more way. I am ready, open, ready to receive. I feel the cut and burn of my moko's creation like the moment when the baby's head stretches the pua pua, slowly ripping perineal tissue. Sweet, hot pain. Fire breathing her into te ao marama, her womb wet body out in the atmosphere. Sensation of air on skin, her first intake of breath. Tihei Modi Ora. My moko has surfaced. Before, she was so deep inside, invisible to the eye. Her lines dance and doodle my skin stories etched in ponamu ink like braided rivers on Fenua. And there it is, when I listen underneath the skin. It's that picture clearing, that icicle dripping, cavern filling, sound spilling. Ayahi Karayati around the table with his disciples, his finger around his wine glass spinning. Grab another bottle and call it a pona mood, not because you meant to, but because that's the language you were given. See, back around the Second World War, we started migrating. Remembered we were birds when our language started fading. To jazz time tunes, ahua fare, but we kept the sobs and the whistles of the ancestors of our words Airbound singers, Manu Tioriori, the birds. These hidden languages we speak underneath the sound bar, the depths of words just beyond the shallows, with each grain of sand a burden from each moment we couldn't speak the language we weren't spoken to. And maybe. The way we breathe is language. And maybe I'm not meant to swim but fly instead. 
meant to sing so loudly, but never be screaming. When I figured out I could scream as loudly as I wanted inside my head, I started drowning everything out. But that scream was the water, my thoughts were the fish, and you were all people just catching them, eating and eating of our flesh. And I'm here saying it's fine, because it's the language I've been given. Not poor Udi to penetrate darkness, or wairaki as in I'm trying to be water living inside the air. Maybe I was never meant to fly in the sky or swim in the ocean. Maybe I was meant to fly in the water and swim in the air. And maybe these sounds in my head aren't imposters, but voyages from a realm that I could swim to if I could only hold my breath long enough. I've nearly got there so many times before, and each time I start to push through to the other side, they tell me, no mai hine, you look so much like your grandmother. And I pull myself back fucking hard from the underneath. I'm going to start with breathing. What I push out of me, what you push out of you, what we push out of each other, lungs working like billows, lungs working, sounds you could read on the air, they're angry now. They pulled him up, Hamilton that is, out of his brick, that bronze man with no business being here, having never set foot in the Waikato, removed due to the concern over the structural integrity of the building below. Are we to be weaved together, stitched slowly through veins, dripping out of our bodies? They are hungry for us. We are hungry for change.
My friend posts on Instagram about getting Marx's capital tattooed on the back of her hand. is meaningless when used by government agencies that continue to promote divisions along lines of class and race and gender. What waka would float on such hypocrisy? I can see it in the Waikato now, taking water, bowing down to the spirits there as the metaphor drowns. How we are one can just look like under the thumb of the crown. We're all in the car headed back from Uhumato. Our friend driving us through the lights of oncoming cars so bright that you can see nothing behind them. Just the whir of metal strangers passing. There is just mist pressing its visual fuzz into the land. We all feel safe in it, regardless of the speed. I read somewhere online about three ways of living Kotahi Tanya today. The first, Kotahi, is donating to a charity. A surfer dude representing the Red Cross, showed up at my door the other day, uh, t two years ago. He asked why I was wearing a dress. He asked for my dead name so that I could pay them $20 a month. Just don't drink as much coffee, they said. Wow, weird, why do you want to be a woman, they said. I don't drink, I don't drink coffee, <laughs> I said, and why don't you? The $20 leaves my bank account automatically. Phone calls scare me so much that I haven't cancelled it yet. <laughs> Rua. Join a sports team. I tried to play cricket once, but fell asleep on the field and got hit by the hard red ball as it plummeted from the sky. What a wake-up call. Toru. Say hello to a stranger. I had my headphones on, but I think she said good morning. <laughs> so none of those options will shake the foundations of the settler colony, and I am sure that is intentional. All token gestures are designed to be inoffensive. Pull the teeth out of our tikanga. Just try to avoid touching the head on the way in and, and out. It's all connected despite how cut off colonization would have us pretend it is. But I swear you, they think I have more in common with an English poet from the 1600s, more than the Maori man who walks past the gym every morning at seven, his hair is as silver as the ghosts you saw rising from the whenua. Black lives fighting police brutality in so-called Australia, flattening into one thing is not unity and the black lives fighting in the streets, making peace with the land that has been stolen from Indians all across Turtle Island. We know how to fight. We have had to for so long. Us versus pipelines, 
housing developments, gold mines, tourist attractions, the crown and all its armies, police brutality, gentrification, all that drink, introduced species, poverty, 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 poverty. Statues coming down the world over of old dead racists but all the living ones line their pockets. But we've got this. We've got to. A tweet that says, there are so many of us, aren't there? In our little group, we rap squat where Hamilton once was. Aside for a witness on the bricks, there is no sign he was ever here because he wasn't. We ask two strangers to take a photo of us on an old camera. We can only look at the image once the film has been developed. After giving a speech at the Black Lives Matter Solidarity March, Akuya, so potent in her power, gripped me by the arm and held on to something that I hadn't felt yet until that moment. And when we pressed our noses together, the whole thing just slid into place. A breath shared, the mingling of carbon dioxide, oxygen and nitrogen creates a meeting house for all the lines of our dead, past and present and future, to get to know each other and come up with a plan.
Tanakwe. You've been listening to a podcast from the 2021 Auckland Writers Festival Waituhi or Tamaki. You can find a range of other festival talks, interviews and discussions on iTunes, SoundCloud and on our website, writersfestival.co.nz.